0: I really have a love-hate relationship with puzzles. <laughs> puzzles, you know the jigsaw puzzles. You're trying to make the picture that's on the box. I I I, I have love-hate because I, I can get a little obsessed with finishing the puzzle. Maybe some of you are laughing because you too struggle with this problem. We have one you the jail, you got right. You can, at some point, we've got to have dinner. We've got to get this thing done. I, I, I tend to get obsessed. And whether it be you know, the 3D puzzle or crossword puzzles, Sudoku or whatever that's called, uh, I can get drawn in a, a little too obsessively. It's a problem. I recognize that. But we're here at church, so I can just confess that. It's like a therapy session, a little less expensive for me. But I've got to finish it, right? I have to finish it and i don't know what it is about some of those puzzles where you come down to the last few pieces and it just doesn't seem like you have the right puzzles and so you do this business you're looking under the table <laughs> you open up the box again cuz you're like well they from the factory they got one le- there's something that got wrong at the factory in one piece they didn't ship me that one piece you know you go through that and then when you finally do find the final pieces it's like, it just feels like, ah, oh, you know what I mean? And all is right in the world now. Okay, just, I can get obsessed. And maybe you're laughing because you two have been obsessed over puzzles, things like that. Getting to the bottom of a mystery. Some of you are readers. Maybe you like those mystery you know, crime novels or whatever. You got to get to the end and got to know what happens. Some of you like to watch that on streaming platforms trying to find the CSI stuff you, you want to find out what the what the the, the, the mystery all about you remember that game clue do we still play clue anymore yeah. uh, I always felt like uh, maybe just me but wasn't it always Colonel Mustard with the candlestick in the billiard room wasn't it always that did it always come down to that maybe I'm wrong well today uh, I hope you brought your Bible we are, uh, we're going to get into it today. We're starting the Revelation series, and we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through a book that some want to avoid, other people are just confused by. There's, it's all over the gamut here, but we're going to dive in today. We're going to actually get into Revelation. And yes, some people treat the book of Revelation like I've been talking about, like a puzzle to solve like a mystery, some kind of code to decipher. And yes, while there are numbers uh, in the book of Revelation, there's a lot more that I think some of those things can get us sidetracked from the reality of what God wants to teach us in the book of Revelation. So I hope you'll try to make it a point to to be with us every week, and we're going to go really heavy and go deep and really see what God has for us. Because the actual term... Revelation is a Greek word, apocalypto, which means an unveiling. So at the heart of it all, it's the opposite of God wanting to hide something. The whole point of Revelation is to unhide it, is to unveil it. And that may be shocking to hear, but that's what the word means. And so that's what we're going to look at because I think there's a message here That God actually wants us to know. He wanted people in the first century to know. And he wants us to know too. And I I hope that we can can get past some of the fascination with the puzzles and the deciphers and trying to figure out what the last end times are. And and we actually listen to the message that maybe God has for us underneath all of that. So I would just encourage you. And this intro is going to be a little longer. uh, But hey, we need to give it time. If you have a study Bible, this would be a good time to have that handy as you're reading through Revelation, but word of caution, the commentators you'll find across the board don't all agree, shocker, they don't all agree on what these symbols and numbers and images mean. So, case in point, I've been studying this for months, and... So I, I started to write down phrases that I, I caught in pretty much across the board, all the commentaries. You name it. I have like six study Bibles, and then I have all the commentaries, and so he, listen to these phrases and see if it helps us get started this morning. More likely, possible, might be, perhaps, appears to, less likely, Difficult to determine. How about this one? Because God has chosen not to make it clear. That was in a commentary. More than one. And how about this one? Frankly, there's no way of knowing. That's just a sampling, not just one commentary. Across the board, when you begin really diving in, there's a lot of questions that very intelligent people have been asking of Revelation for a long time. So give yourself a bit of a break. Plus, we're modern readers. Many of us didn't grow up in first century Jewish families. A first century Jewish family would have known the Bible pretty darn well. In fact, they would have really understood the prophets because the prophets would have been sort of like listening to the radio back in the 40s and just amazing sounding events going on. So Jewish children of the first century, when, when they would hear some of what we're going to hear in Revelation, bells would have been going off. Oh, that's like Daniel. Or oh, that's like Ezekiel. Remember when he said that? That was going on for the first century hearers of Revelation. We modern readers struggle. Because even though I've heard good Christians, even in this room, say you're a person of the book, how well do you know your Old Testament? Because for good little Jewish boys and girls, you had to memorize a good bit of it. That was like your schooling. How many of you have memorized any Old Testament? I'm not making you raise your hand. I'm Just a point. You see my point. We say we're a people of the... and We have many copies at home that sit undisturbed for years. So to really understand Revelation, you almost really need to have your Old Testament handy. In fact, we'll find there's not a lot of new material in Revelation. Spoiler alert. So just be aware, this is some of our difficulty as modern readers trying to read what was going on in revelation. Like what is figurative? What is, I don't know, literal? That gets thrown around a lot, right? Have you heard people say that? You don't take the Bible literally. Well, Jesus said he was a lamb, but I don't think he actually meant he was an actual lamb. You see the problem with that? But, right, that comes up, especially with revelation. Is it figurative? Is it literal? Uh, Is it symbolic? Or is it specific? These are all things that we wrestle with as modern readers. And can it say something different than what it meant in the first century? Be careful with that. Because we start Revelation, in in essence, with a bunch of letters to actual first century churches that were struggling. It's a good thing modern churches don't struggle. (laughs) I don't know what this is relevant for, but we'll study it anyway. And just realize, again, as you open Revelation, there's a lot of symbols and imagery that would have been very familiar to anyone who knew their Bible. Anyone, when I say knew their Bible, good Jewish boys and girls would have known their Torah, or as scholars call it now, the Tanakh, which is basically Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then the writings And all the rest. They would have known this. So so for them, they had an advantage. We, on the other hand, have some catching up to do when we start talking about apocalyptic writing. They were familiar with it already. They understood the genre perfectly. But we start in the first century and have your Old Testament handy because you're going to need it. In my 20 years of ministry, which is happening this year, which is crazy to me, 20 years... I've I've encountered some extremes with the book of Revelation. And maybe you've encountered some of this yourself. Maybe you've even been in those camps. Like there's some extremes, right? How about the first extreme? And you're probably very familiar with maybe some people in your life or churches that you've been part of or different preachers you've heard or maybe certain popular books that you may have pulled off the shelf at your favorite Christian bookstore. There's that first view where everything is extremely literal. Have you run into that at all? Where they take revelation, and maybe you're in this camp, that's fine, but you try to press revelation into the different eras of the church. Oh, that's the Pope. Which Pope, which era? That's confusing. Or that's Russia, or that's Saudi Arabia, You've heard that, right, where, where you take, that's an extreme. It is an extreme, where you take Revelation, you try to put it in to spots in history. And we'll talk a little bit more about But that's one extreme, and that can be hard to navigate. There's another extreme, which I'm afraid I've been in for maybe too long. I'll just confess it. I've kind of avoided it, because it's scary. Right? Some of the images, uh, some of the judgments, they feel heavy. And so when I pick up the scriptures, I want to read Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or I want to read Proverbs, you know. Uh, Save up. It's a good idea, right? Stuff like this. So it's hard for me to want to read about the seventh angel blowing his trumpet and people dying. Right? That's some of the imagery that we'll get into in Revelation. So I've been in the camp where I've either avoided it or just kind of cherry-picked it. And I think it's time for us to not do those different extremes. Let's actually dive in and see what God has for us. What message is there? Because the reality is, it was grounded in the first century. And here's what we know about the first century. It was the early days of the church. The church had spread out to a lot of Roman cities at that point. Paul has already died probably by this time. This is toward the end of the first century. And Roman emperor after Roman emperor from about the 50s, the early 50s, in not uh, leaving out good old Nero, had a bent to hurt Christians. And by the time we get to Revelation, the church is struggling. The church is struggling in these, these towns. They're struggling because everywhere they look, all their Roman pagan counterparts are living it up. They're having a good old time. They're not being put in, the, in, 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 in shackles Maybe, and this is what the first century folks were struggling with, maybe this isn't worth it anymore. Maybe this following Jesus thing isn't worth it. Maybe we should throw in the towel. Because these Romans look like they're having a lot of fun. You know, and, and we could we could follow Jesus and maybe have a little sexual stuff over here. I mean, they're doing it. They're not getting in trouble. You know, maybe we can add a little Jesus, but also... Have the orgy parties and drunkenness, and we'll do that too. And we'll add Jesus in it. This was happening in the first century over and over again. And so Christians were wondering, is this worth it anymore? Is it worth it to call on Jesus when we're getting killed for it? And the overarching message that John wants to give the early churches is, yes, it's worth it. We already won. It's worth it. You're struggling now, but it's worth it endure in a little while, in a little, just a little longer, hold on. That's kind of the overall theme that we start to find over and over in Revelation. So I don't want to miss that with all the other things going on. And there's a lot of things going on in Revelation. But let's not ignore that because this is the unveiling, the unhiding of what God wanted us to know. And he wanted us to know all about this spiritual battle going on. It's a fierce battle. And it's a battle... For our souls. Satan has already lost. Jesus the king has won. The lamb has conquered. Strangely by dying. But then rising. The victory has been won. But Satan is not done with his his schemes. And he still wants to hurt us. And so just like those first few churches. Ephesus and Smyrna. All those churches. They're all going to struggle. We're going to read that here in a second. But they're all struggling. But hold on. Hold on, because it's worth it. Yes, there's going to be extreme persecution, church. There is going to be temptation like you wouldn't believe. And you're going to want to throw in the towel. But don't, because it's worth it. It's so worth it. That's going to be the message we're going to see over and over again. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here. If this is your first Sunday, you're like, wow, what did I sign up for? (laughs) Glad you're here. I know it's hard to check out a church, but we, we lean into the scriptures every weekend And we're going to be in this for a couple of months. I hope you can make it a point to be here with us as we study it. I encourage you to study it on your own, too. Have some of that. Don't just take what a preacher says or what's on the popular bookshelf. Actually read and soak it in and see what God has for you. I think you'll be surprised as I was the last couple of months just leaning in deeply to this book. It's amazing. Victory has been won, but Satan ain't done messing with us. So. That's a good, maybe, primer into what we're getting into today. And so, the title of the message, Welcome to the Apocalypse. <laughs> That's what it's called today. I kind of wanted the song from 1987, It's the End of the World. I thought about playing that a little bit, but I think there's copyright issues with that. <laughs> okay. Fine. Let's, uh, let's pause for a prayer. Let's take a deep breath. I think we need it today. One, two, three, deep breath. Let's pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we lean in to you, our King, the one who's conquered all. And Father, we lean in that you'd speak to the power of your Holy Spirit to our hearts as we lean into your word, Father, that you would provide that promised blessing to us when we hear your word and we put it into action. And Lord, may we be your people in our our world, uh, in our time in our modern time frame, that we would be your witnesses of good news and about a victory and a battle won. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you can stand, please do. Let's read through Revelation chapter 1 together. And I'm going to read it out loud and you're going to find out why. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, On account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see this voice that was speaking to me and on turning Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that, are, those, uh, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the, s- the seven stars are uh, the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, have a seat. All right, already, I told you we're diving deep. We got, we got symbols, images, we got the number seven at least a couple times already. We also have that phrase that's repeated. Did you catch it? The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. That's a, a term called a merism, which is basically giving you one side and the other side, which represents the whole thing, uh, like the whole kit and caboodle. That's kind of what we're saying. Alpha and omega, same idea. And so we'll hear this. We got repetition. We got numbers. Seven. We love seven. I think seven shows up almost 60 times in the book of Revelation alone. And part of that is seven is the number of completion. How many days of creation? Andrew asked that last week. Are there six or there's seven? Seven. The number of completion, right? Six would be incomplete. We'll run into that in chapter 13. Ooh. The number of man, the number of the beast. That's in chapter 13, so you've got to hold on for that one. But here we have, already in chapter 1, we have this unveiling. And this is soon to take place. And we even meet Jesus. I am the one who died, and yet have, I'm alive. And so we meet Jesus, we have this message to some, some churches, we have a lot going on. But ultimately, we have the beginnings of this discussion of Jesus telling us what what, what was and is and is to come. And we get this unveiling. And the hope is, as we get through Revelation, we too will be faithful. Now we'll endure. Because the time is always near. The time is always almost here. So John, we don't know exactly which John this is. There's some speculation. It might be one of the inner three disciples. Remember James uh, James and John and Peter, those were kind of the inner three of Jesus and his 12 disciples, who so could have been this John uh, or, or maybe one of his disciples. Uh, we're getting toward the end of the first century. Patmos, the island that he talks about, there was a Roman kind of prison on that island, kind of like our Alcatraz. And so at some point, John, the, the author, was there. And so he, he talks about that experience briefly uh, but we're not totally sure which John. I think it probably was the John that also wrote uh, the, the Gospel of John and the three letters. I think I think there's some uh, good arguments there, but we don't know for certain. Um, but I, I would say that it's safe to say it was likely John or at least one of his disciples. And he's speaking to, at least at the beginning, actual churches in the first century. So I know we got symbols and all kinds of things ahead in this study, but just realize this is grounded in the, in the actual experience of the first century. These were actual churches in what we would call now modern Turkey. And so you have seven listed. And so we have a direct correlation to what was going on, boots on the ground, in the first century. Good to remember that because it's good for us to remember that as well. So right at the beginning, we're told that this is uh, three different things in chapter one. It's an apocalypse, right? An unveiling. An unveiling. So that's one literary style. Then we're told this is a prophecy. You proclaim this, tell the churches, that's prophecy. So two different genres of literature. And then write this to these churches, letters. Right away we find in chapter one, this is what makes it a little difficult for us, three different literary styles in one book. Letters, apocalypse, the unveiling, right? And prophecy. So, That is a little tricky to navigate how each of those, and respecting each of those types of literature, we need to try to do that as we're going through Revelation. Three different kinds of writings. And they all get respect. Now, did you notice why I read it out loud? You came today. I think he's going to bless you. Because what did it say? Blessed is a person who what? Reads, I just read it, I'm me, I get one. And then you heard it, blesses the person right who hears it, free blessing today. Free blessing. You got it. You came today. And it's, uh, this is one of seven that we find in Revelation. Seven, hello, there it is again. But there are seven blessings listed in Revelation. This is just the first of those seven. And isn't that cool? The idea that reading it out loud which actually is a great thing to do with Scripture. Things just pop when you're reading out loud. In fact, in preparation for this, about a month ago, this is silly, but it worked for me. I was in the office on a Monday. Nobody else was here. And so I stood up in my office and took this very Bible, and I timed myself. I put the timer on, and I read the book of Revelation, all 22 chapters, to myself out loud. Because, again, what did it say? Blessing to the, sign me up, I want the blessing. It took me 58 minutes to read it. So, side challenge for you. Uh, Some of you aren't readers, I get that. But try in one sitting, go through Revelation. Actually, read it out loud if you're brave. Things pop out when you do that. In fact, as we get into it, after studying this for this, Sermon series, I've changed my view a little bit. I didn't think that was possible, but I've changed my view. Now there are lots of views, and we're going to talk about that, but it, it can do things when you let this is crazy. if you read God's word, sometimes it can change things in you. Who knew? <laughs> so try it. Let it. I know it's 22 chapters. But you give it a shot. Try it, and maybe you'll you'll come up with some some cool things that that popped out to you too. But these seven churches, uh, you know I listed them. It started with what, Ephesus? So the the order is important, by the way. Maybe not why you think it would be important. Ephesus was the major city of those seven. Pretty big. In fact, that was a, a early hub of the church, was Ephesus. But toward the end of the first century, they were struggling. Ephesus had all kinds of shrines and temples to different gods and goddesses, and some of those were worshipped by sex, drugs, and rock and roll, people. This is not a new deal. And these Roman towns had that going on all over the place, but the order of those towns is actually an ancient route. It would have been exactly in that order. So if you were a FedEx person in the first century, okay, and you got in your truck you would have hit Ephesus first, and you would have actually gone in order. So there's some things we just don't know, right? But they have found that, yes, this was actually a, an ancient mail route for, uh, for, for the first century. So these were in order, and these were real, live churches. And as Andrew will talk about next week, the things mentioned in these churches were actual things going on in the towns that, that they mentioned down to even little items in each letter that anybody from those specific churches that heard that letter they would have said oh that means that and they would have pointed something to their own in their own town that's crazy but it sh- it tells us something revelation is meant to be an unveiling it's not meant to hide things and it's rooted in our real struggle these churches struggled Toward the end of the first century, which is what we think it's written, somewhere around 95, there was a good old emperor named Domitian. And guess who he loved to kill? Christ followers. And he took it up a notch because Nero before him was a whack job, but Domitian took it up a notch. Domitian was killing people left and right. If you said you're a Christ follower and you didn't say that Caesar is Lord, you could have your life taken from you like that. They struggled. They were struggling. All these, all these Roman towns where churches were there were struggling. And they were asking themselves the question, like I mentioned already, is this worth it anymore? Is it worth it? And again, John's answer, yes, it is. Because we already won. Yes, Satan is still going to battle you, but he's already lost the war. So, grounded in the first century, that's really important for us to know as we get into this, And it was an ancient courier route. And look, I get that once we get past like chapter 5, if you're going to stick with us, if you're brave enough to do this, you get into chapter 6 and 7, it starts to get a little dicey. Here's one thing that helped. I know Andrew and I studying through this. And it might help you. Uh, I did a lot of theater and drama when I was in high school. And the thing about theater and drama is usually you have a plot, right? And you have characters and you have scenes, and then you have dialogue, right? And then you have like a conflict, right? All of these things happen with good theater, really good, good storytelling, right? Well, try to take that approach as you're getting into Revelation. Look at the characters. Uh, look, there's almost a drama unfolding here. And you'll, you'll, you'll encounter, as we go through this, some beasts. And you're gonna encounter like a dragon uh, you're going to you're going to encounter in what chapter 12 there's going to be a pregnant woman who has a child that's going to rule the nations with an iron scepter who do you think that's about right so there's going to be some metaphors in here it's going some of it's going to make sense others you're going to be kind of pondering but but consider this drama unfolding it's a drama we don't know the specifics of time but it's a drama that's going to happen over time sometimes in the past sometimes in the present sometimes in the future. Not unlike most apocalyptic literature of Bible. It's this telescoping back and forth. Jesus himself did it in Matthew. If you were here for the Matthew series, we called it telescoping back and forth. That also happens in Revelation, which is also why the commentaries use words like, more than likely, not sure, God didn't tell us because this telescoping back and forth is a little tricky to figure out, to try to put an actual time frame on, but as we get into this, I have changed my view a little bit, and I'll talk about that um, as we get going. But again, that's one view. You need to really read it for yourself. So I really do, I hope you take the challenge to read it. Scripture does amazing things when you just let God kind of read you. Read scripture, get in there. I've got five Ps. If If you're writing down notes, these are things that have helped me in looking at this, the last couple of months, pretty heavy. Five Ps of, of Revelation. And uh, the first one is prophecy. Remember, prophecy, for the most part in the Bible, wasn't necessarily talking about the future. Most prophets were like, Hey, Israel, um, how about you get back to God? That was a big message of the prophets. You, you read the prophets over and over again. People of Israel, if you just come back to the Lord come back to the Lord. So there's prophecy, but a lot of it is very, very grounded in our experience right now. So there's prophecy, there's proclamation. Hey, John, tell us to the churches, right? So there's proclamation, there's things to proclaim. In fact, we have things to proclaim and we'll talk about that. Uh, so there's two. Then the, the third one is prediction. Yes, I do. And this is part of the view that has changed in me a little bit. But as you start to get into the sevens, and we talked about numbers being important for a lot of reasons, but we will get to seven seals and seven trumpets and three woes. Again, I'm using numbers here, but these are what happened. And then seven bowls of wrath. And those seem to accelerate. And so this is something that me and the Lord are wrestling with. You know, are there times and seasons where that's accelerating? And are we in that time right now? I don't know but I'm starting to wonder. So we'll see those numbers start to take place and that's prediction. How about principles? There's some principles that we can use right now. Faithful endurance, being a witness, living out the resurrection in your life right now. And and, and so, and it's even praying that prayer, the famous prayer, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring some of your goodness to earth right now. That's what we need, right? So there's, there's principles and finally there's promises. There's promises. One of my favorites is Jesus' words toward the end of Revelation. See, I am making all things new. And for someone that's aging out, okay, I'm 51. I'm feeling the age, okay? Some of you are older than me. It's really good news to know that there's new heavens and new earth, right? That is this isn't at the, this isn't at the end. And and then there is gonna be new creation. Now, I don't know how that works. God can do whatever he wants to do. There's some speculation. Is God gonna like wipe out the planet and then bring a new planet in? Or is he gonna completely remake the earth? I don't know. But that really gives me hope that there is new heavens and new earth. See, I am making all things new. That's a promise. So all of those peas might help. Your split pea soup, prophecy, proclamation, Prediction, principles, promises. And just be aware that when we're reading Revelation, a lot of this is not necessarily new material. It comes from a lot of the prophets of old. So, maybe this call to Revelation might be for some of us to actually get to know our Bible a little better. Uh, to, to, to know a little bit, oh, that's what Daniel said, or oh, that's what Ezekiel said. Because when we get to a couple of beasts that are coming up, if you've pre-read Revelation or if you've ever read it, there's some scary beasts that come in. And uh, there's only two. Daniel, in Daniel's prophecy, he talked about four beasts. When you get to Revelation, he compresses it into two. And it's interesting that anybody who knows Daniel, when they would hear that in Revelation, they'd go, oh, those are the beasts that Daniel talked about, but they're a little different. See, I I would wish that we would know our Bibles well enough so that when we come to Revelation, we too would go, oh, that's wouldn't that be great? I feel like I've spent my life on this Bible thing. There's so much more to learn. I wish I would have memorized more of it. So maybe if you're younger, start memorizing some of this stuff. Uh, It'd really help us older people. We get stuck in our ways. So not a lot of new material. And remember, for the first century, they were facing the challenge and the temptation, just walk away from it all. Following Christ has cost them too much. It's too hard. The temptation's too great. And John would say, it's worth it. John is saying to them and to us, it's worth it. In a little while, in a little bit longer. In fact, he'll use that phrase a couple times as we get into Revelation. Just wait a little longer. Justice will happen. You will finally get justice. So it's worth it. That's the point. It's worth it. It's hard now, but it's worth it. The God who was and who is and who is to come. God sees time differently than we do. We see kind of point forward in some of the past that we remember. But God sees the whole thing. He was and is and is to come. He sees time differently completely different than us and sees the whole picture. That whole idea of who was, who is, it's it's a merism, it's the idea that the whole thing is there, the whole kit and caboodle. God is the whole thing. And He sees things differently than us. And so the time frame for God is going to be at the perfect time. In fact, we'll see as we get into 6 and 7 and 8, at just the right time, the hour and the day the angels are released. God has a plan. And the suffering is limited. So there's a lot of things we'll uncover here that if we stay close to the text, I think God has got a lot to say. And there's two swords in Revelation. We just read one that was a double-edged sword. There's one of the place in the New Testament that talks about a two-edged sword. I think Paul talks about that. The idea that the word of God is like, it cuts to the deep heart of all of us. So even us teachers that are up here teaching, that word also cuts back to us, and it cuts both ways. So at the beginning of Revelation, we have a sword that is this two-sided sword. At the end of Revelation in 19, we have a one-sided sword. That's the sword of judgment. So we have some of these happening in the book of Revelation. And verse 19 some look at verse 19, I don't know if you caught that as, as, at the end of what we were reading. Verse 19, some people take verse 19 and they will say, well, that's basically the outline of the book. Did you remember verse 19? I'll read it again. Uh, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. What does that sound like? was and is and is to come, right? So some people take that verse and say, well, that's the whole book, that's the outline. Maybe, but the hard part is that telescoping thing back and forth. Sometimes it's going back, and sometimes it's in the future, and sometimes it's right now. So it's a little tricky just to say that's the outline. And so to make it even uh, crazier, I skipped right over it, but there's that little pesky term at the beginning, Tribulation. And if you've never heard some of the buzzwords around Revelation, here you go. Trib- tribulation, that is troubled times. Difficulty, struggle. The first century knew well what tribulation was all about because they literally were losing their lives if they said Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. That's tribulation. So some have views about tribulation. That when the end times comes, some camps... We'll say, well, uh, we're going to be jettisoned out of the planet before the real bad times happen. So that would be called a pre-tribulationist. There's some who say, well, no, wait, we're going to endure some of that. That's what the three and a half is for. We'll get to that later. But we're going to have some tribulation, so we're in the midst of it, we're going to be jettisoned out. That's mid-trib. It gets, gets, I'm not even close to being done. Then at the end, there's some that say, no, no, we're going to face tribulation, and then we'll be jettisoned after that. I use that term jettison because that's the term rapture, which actually only shows up once in the Bible, not in Revelation. But the concept of being up with God's realm was very common, right? Wherever God is, that's where we're going to be. So there's tribulation views, and as we get to chapter 20, doesn't show up until chapter 20. There's this pesky word called millennium. And so there's views about millennium. Thousand years. What does it mean? Right? Is it symbolic? Is it specific? And with that, there are many views on the millennium. So we'll get there. (laughs) And I've just basically just scratched the surface. But for today, there are... Four kind of main overall views of, of Revelation. And uh, I'll just start it and see what you think. The first one is the preterist view. So if you have a study Bible or any commentaries, you might find these terms in there. Uh, these are just common ways people have looked at Revelation. The first one, preterist, that's basically, they, this, the, if you hold that view, everything that happens in Revelation already took place. It's all in the first century. So it's all Roman Empire, uh, Roman emperors, uh, you know, it's all first century. That would be considered a preterist. Um, the, you don't have to remember these. I'm just telling you, there's lots of views. The next one is historist. That's, a, that's even a hard word to say, historicist. That viewpoint basically says that Revelation is like a, a map of history. From the first century establishment of the church through the papacy, through popes, through uh, the Protestant movement, to different uh, European nations, to Russia, all of that. That's the historist view, thinking that Revelation is really kind of this this code to all the kingdoms and all the things that have happened, the eras in human history for the last 2,000 years. That's that view. (laughs) There are more. You're welcome. Third, futurists. Futurists say that all of Revelation is going to happen in the future. As everything from basically chapter four in Revelation on is just something distant, way out here, future. Then there's the idealists. And they think that there's nothing really specific in Revelation. It's really all about metaphors and about the cosmic struggle and about good and evil and the the, the church will be triumphant And so it's kind of more of a loosey-goosey viewpoint. If you have that, it's no big deal. It's just one view where they don't say that Revelation is any specific thing. So there are more, but that's just a few. And so you might ask me the question, okay, Ben, which one's right? (laughs) Ha! You're not going to get me on that one. (laughs) Or a mixture. There's people that have a mixture of them. I guess I want to boil this down to you and I in the time that we live. John wrote this grounded in the first century to Christians really going through it and struggling to be a witness about Jesus when it could get him killed. And they were wondering, is it worth it? Right? And what's John's response? Yes, it's worth it. So for us today, how are you at being a witness? I mean, we're, we're, we happen to live in a country where it's still, we have the freedom to meet like this. That's not a given, folks, in history or on the planet. We have the freedom to do this, right? We have the freedom to talk about Jesus in the marketplace even. We have the freedom to, to put bumper stickers on our cars, right? Wear the t-shirts. That's not a given for all places and all times. How are you at being a witness? Are you being a witness, a faithful witness of what Jesus has called you? to do and be in your world. How is your witness, right? He's called us to be a kingdom of priests. How is your priesthood going? What do priests do? What do they do for Israel? They offer prayers. They spoke God's word. How are you at doing that in your world? If you're a kingdom of, if you said yes to Jesus, you are now a kingdom of priests. How is your witness to the world? I think that's what John would ask us as we read through this. How is our witness Now, look, the reality is the time is always near. The time is always near. You know how I know that? Because you don't know if you're going to wake up tomorrow. You know, we get so caught up in taking Revelation and trying to put some kind of dates on it, and I think Jesus himself would say no one knows the, the hour, but you know what to do right now. You can be faithful. You can walk with me. You can love one another. You can serve one another. The time is always near because we never know how much time we got. You could be the healthiest person, and you could have a heart attack out of the blue. I'm not trying to down depress anybody. You realize we don't have any guarantee. I, I feel this more the older I get. We have no guarantee. So you know what? For us, for any human, the time is always near. And so we can, like John said, let me tell you about these things that are soon to take place. Yep, it's soon to take place. When is it going to happen, Ben? Soon. Because we never know how how, how much time we got. But we know what to do while we're waiting. That we're his faithful witnesses. And so what I want to do as we get off into this series, I want you and I to embrace our ambassadorship. When you said yes to Jesus, just like they did in the first century, just to the audience John's writing to, when you said yes to Jesus, You are now part of a different kingdom. And what do ambassadors do in our planet right now? They represent a different country. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us. So we plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our message to the world. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. We are ambassadors. I want you to embrace your ambassadorship. You are a witness to the good news kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of now and not yet. I think John would want us to have that fresh on our minds. Every time we wake up, we are his ambassadors. Imagine us living up to that as we wait new heavens and new earth that we are his witnesses. I'm excited about the rest of the series. Are you? We're going to get into it. But we had a blessing just by hearing his word, but also putting it into practice. So this week, we can put it into practice being his witness, being an ambassador, sharing the good news of the kingdom, that there will be justice one day, but there's hope now. That's good news. I think anybody needs that good news. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love and faithfulness. And Lord, as we lean into your word, speak by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be your witnesses, your hands and feet in our world, and that, Father, you would uh, bring blessing through us and into us. In Jesus' name, amen.